Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel, broadcasting remotely. It's always a good end to the week when I can talk about gardening with our favorite garden expert. Charlie Nardozzi is back this hour to answer our questions and yours. It's been feeling more like fall on these chilly mornings. My favorites in my garden right now are dahlias, sweet autumn clematis, and I can't forget mums. My tomatoes have slowed down, but peppers and squash are doing well. Are you still harvesting vegetables in your garden? Are you thinking about finally planting garlic? We want to hear from you. You can ask your garden question at 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also share a comment or question on our Facebook page and find us on Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome Charlie Nardozzi back to the show. He's on Zoom for the hour. He's a horticulturist and host of the Connecticut Garden Journal on Connecticut Public Radio. And he's the author of many gardening books. My go-to to is New England month-by-month gardening. Charlie, welcome back to the show. It's good to be here, Lucy. So I like to think of September as a great time to plant perennials. And tell us why this is a good time. And what are you doing in your garden these days, Charlie? Yeah, this is a good time to plant a number of things, including perennial flowers, uh, trees, and shrubs. Uh, the, the temperatures have gotten cooler, so there's less stress on the plants. And this time of year, a lot of the garden centers and nurseries are really looking to clear out their stock. So you're getting some great sales that are out there, which we're always looking for uh, as bargain hunters in the gardening world. Um, so uh, buying trees and shrubs and perennials now is a good idea. Putting them in the ground as soon as possible. September, early October is great. You want to get them in the ground and get them established a good four to six weeks before the ground freezes. So you have you know, most of the month of October in our area um, to do that. Um, water them in well. It has been really dry this summer and early fall, so water them in well. And what it does is it allows those roots to get established. Those roots will continue to grow as long as the soil temperatures are above 40 degrees. So they'll get established in the next couple of months. By spring, they'll be up and ready to grow for you, and they'll be beautiful for next year. I mentioned the Connecticut Garden Journal on uh, Connecticut Public Radio. Uh, one of your recent uh, Connecticut Garden Journal episodes uh, related to the persimmon tree. Is that right? Can you tell us about that tree? Yeah, the persimmon tree. This is one of my favorite trees. And you think of persimmons, if you go to the grocery store, you'll see the Asian persimmons uh, sometimes in the produce section. And those are pretty big, um, like almost softball size fruits. And, and they're delicious. You can get varieties where you can eat them like an apple, eat them when they're crunchy, or other varieties that are stringent where you have to wait till they get really soft and mushy. Um, and then you can taste them and they have a nice sweet custody flavor. The botanical name of persimmon means food of the gods. So you can see how highly prized it is. Um, in our area, though, we can't grow those Asian persimmons. It's just not warm enough for us here. But we can grow the American persimmon, which is a much hardier tree, hardy to zone four and five, so good for all of Connecticut. Um, and this one grows into a beautiful 20-foot tall tree with big avocado-sized leaves to it, a nice shape to it. And it gets, this time of year, these small I would say they're about plum size, but a flattened version of a plum. Um, fruits on them that turn orange as the weather gets cooler and cooler. So they're an astringent variety. 
this tree is a beautiful one in a landscape, even if you're not interested in the fruits, because of the big leaves that turn kind of a yellow, orangish color mm -hmm. in the fall. And then once the, the leaves drop, the fruits still hang on the branches. So you have all these orange globes just kind of hanging out on this tree. Um, if you pick those and you bring them inside and let them get that soft, smushy, uh, kind of uh, ripeness to them. They have that great flavor. They're just a little smaller than the ones in the stores, but they're certainly a treat to eat. Mm, any critters we have to worry about if we plant a persimmon tree, Charlie? Well, I've, I've got deer issues with my persimmon tree. I was, <laughs> it's, our tree is pretty big now. So I was thinking, ah, it's kind of beyond the whole deer thing. But we had deer the other night coming over and they must have gotten up on their hind legs and reached some of the lower branches and pulled some down mostly out of curiosity. They never really eat the fruit because it's too astringent uh, at this time, and they don't really like the leaves that much. So I just think they're juvenile deer looking for trouble. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, you might get some possums and raccoons going after the fruit once they get really soft and ripe. But like I said, the nice thing about it is that you can pick them once they're turned fully orange and still are firm before the animals are interested, bring them inside, and they'll continue to ripen indoors. Okay, so that's on my list, and you can join us if you have a question for Charlie Nardozzi, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Again, we're spending the hour talking about gardening, a perfect time uh, to look at your garden, see what you want to do for the next spring, but also we'll be talking about overwintering and what needs to be done around uh, the garden before it gets too cold. Laura's calling in from Madison. Laura, what's your question? Uh, hello, thanks for taking my call. I have a plethora of unripened green tomatoes, and I'm curious as to what I can do with those because I don't think they're going to ripen. I have cut back the foliage to try to force the plant to ripen the fruit, but it hasn't happened. Good question, Laura. Yeah, thanks, Laura, for that question. Um, yeah, green tomatoes, this time of year, you really have to watch out for them because uh, we are getting closer to, we start getting those cold nights. Um, things are growing slower, as Lucy, you mentioned earlier, um, and ripening slower, too, with the shorter days and the cooler temperatures. So by cutting the, the tops of the plants and taking the small fruits off, that was a great idea, Laura, because that's going to send more energy into those larger fruits that are still trying to ripen. Uh, what you can do is wait till you start seeing some color on those large fruits. So as soon as you start seeing them change, uh, whatever the mature color is, um, it doesn't have to be fully colored up. Just see some change. Then you can harvest them, bring them indoors, and ripen them in a, a warm spot indoors. But as long as they're still green and, and not showing color, they're not going to really fully ripen indoors. So you have a choice. You can take a chance, leave them out there as long as possible. Um, the, you know, the temperatures are getting cooler, but we don't necessarily have any frost. Uh, projected projected in the next few weeks or so. So hopefully by that time, they'll start ripening up and you can bring them indoors and finish them. Um, or you can eat them, of course, as fried green tomatoes, which is a delicious dish in and of itself. Uh, you can make relishes out of them and, and those types of things. And of course, if there is frost threatening, you can throw some covers over the plants to get them through a few frosty nights. Often what happens in our climate is that We'll get a few frosty nights in September, early October. Um, we'll get through that, and then it'll warm up again for a few more weeks. So if we can get to that next warm stage, that will help ripen more of the fruits. You can ask your garden question at 888-720-9677. Again, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Before I take another call, Charlie, uh, you mentioned a good time to plant trees and shrubs. Uh, how should we be thinking about fertilizing uh, in the fall? 
yeah. So when you're planting uh, trees and shrubs or perennials for that matter, you're really not thinking about fertilizing this time of year. Okay. Uh, you certainly want to make sure with the trees and shrubs, I can kind of go through a, a quick little 101 on those because there's a few things that have changed over the years. Uh, the first thing you always want to do with a tree and shrub is make sure you dig a hole three times the diameter of the root ball. That gives them a big wide space that's loosened up. And you want to save all that soil you dig out of the hole because you're going to backfill with that same soil. The old idea of putting fertilizer and compost into the soil hole when you're planting a tree or shrub has been kind of debunked. Uh, what that does is keeps the roots in that hole and doesn't really encourage them to go out into the native soil. So unless you have really, really bad soil, like heavy clay soil or really sandy soil, you really don't want to amend that soil when you're planting. Also, what has happened with trees and shrubs is that many of these plants have been grown in containers or in bald and burlapped balls uh, in the nursery for many months, and the roots are circling around. And if you just plant that shrub as it is into the ground with those circling roots, eventually those roots get bigger and bigger, and they can eventually uh, actually strangle the plant. And we've seen this with a lot of street trees, that trees are 8, 9, 10 years old, looking beautiful, and all of a sudden they just die. When they dig them up, they find that there's the big roots that have kind of wrapped around the crown and have strangled the plant. So what you want to do now is that when you're ready to plant, uh, you have your hole, you're all set to go. You want to wash off the soil, the potting soil from the tree or shrub roots and take a look at the root system. You want to tease out those roots so they're going away from the crown and maybe even prune them a little bit so that you don't have any that are circling around. Then put them in the hole, backfill with that native soil and water them in really well. And that's pretty much all you need to do. Keep them well, well watered, though, right into the fall, even if they're deciduous, meaning they drop their leaves, because those roots, like I mentioned, will continue to grow right into November. And you want to encourage that so that they're strong for next year. Those are great tips, Charlie. Uh, Kim's calling into where we live from Middletown. Kim, what's your question? Hi, we've just recently purchased a new house, and I have several things in my garden that I'd like to take with me, but we're not moving until after Thanksgiving. So I didn't know if I should transplant them to somebody else's garden for the time being to hold on to them and then replant them in our new gardens in the spring or what your suggestion is on how to handle that. Well, congratulations, first of all, Kim, on a new house. That's exciting. <laughs> a blank slate. We love that. Uh, so as far as moving them, it sounds like you need to move them now. So yes, dig them up. I would put them in pots. So you can get some of those nursery pots that you probably have when you were buying uh, shrubs and trees and, and perennials, or get your friend might have some, um, and put it with potting soil, pot them up into those containers. If they're perennial flowers, cut them back, even if they're still green, even if they have some flowers on them, cut them back because you don't want to have those roots uh, trying to really work too hard to support the foliage in the plant. Mm -hmm. uh, we really want them to just, just survive. So uh, cut those back, put them in a container with some potting soil, keep them moist, put them in a spot where it gets some brightness, like uh, a morning sun maybe, but not full sun, because if it does get warm, um, you don't want them to dry out and really be uh, suffering because of that. And then come November, uh, if you can't, well, probably can't pre-dig the holes. I guess you can't move in till November. Um, maybe you could, if you ask the old, the old owners, can I go and dig some holes in your yard? <laughs> uh, but figuring that you probably can't do that, uh, as soon as you can when you get into the new house, dig some holes, put them into the ground. If for some reason you can't get them in the ground in November and you're really starting to push it and it looks like it's not going to happen at all, see if you can get a mulch pile or an area of the garden that's protected and just heal them in with the containers. So this could be the perennial flowers, some small trees and shrubs, uh, bury the whole container and all in the soil, cover the, over the, the pot, and that will be a, a way to hold them till next spring when you can move them to their permanent location. 
That's a good transition, Charlie. We wanted to ask you, are there some plants that you would recommend uh, overwintering versus some that you just let die and start over again in the spring? Uh, yeah, it kind of it depends upon how healthy the plant is. Now, mm -hmm. if you have a perennial flower, a phlox, a rudbeckia, an echinacea, whatever it might be, that's been doing pretty well, uh, certainly you want to you know, dig that up, take it with you. Uh, but if you have something that really has been struggling or something on the other hand, uh, that has been aggressive and too aggressive. Uh, it's been spreading around uh, Canterbury bells or Anathra, the evening primrose. Um, you might want to think twice about bringing those along with you because if they're spreading in your old garden, they're going to spread in your new garden too. So you have an opportunity with a new garden like this that Tim has uh, to kind of start anew and bring in the things just that you really appreciate and really like and leave the other stuff behind for the new owners of your old house. Charlie Nardozzi is here to help answer your gardening questions. Again, he's host of the Connecticut Garden Journal. He's a horticulturist and has written many gardening books. The number to call in to ask your question, 888-720-9677. Again, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, Charlie, I was really excited to plant winterberry because I love how they look in the winter, uh, the berries that pop. But I noticed throughout this summer there were pests eating the leaves. I have one male berry holly plant and uh, two females. Is this something, should I expect berries this winter if I just planted them in the spring? Uh, well, it, you'll, you'll probably be able to look at them right now and see if you have berries or not. You, know, you should be able to get the berries uh, with the male and females, you know, the pollination mm -hmm. should have happened. One of the things that might have happened, though, is that because it was so dry this summer, uh, the pollination maybe was not complete and didn't get as much berry set as you normally would get. Uh, but I, Lucy, after the show, I'd run out, <laughs> take a look at your winter berry bushes and see if you can see some little green berries on there. If you do, then there's hope that you're going to have some nice bright red or orange or yellow, depending on the variety, uh, winter berries in your landscape um, this fall and winter. If not, don't give up on them. It was probably more of a weather-related thing. Mm -hmm. And as the plants uh, age, they'll get more tolerant to drought and weather extremes. And so they'll be more likely to produce berries. Okay, good to know. Paul uh, tweeted at us, how do you keep geraniums over the winter? Oh, that's a good one, uh, because that's a, a nice topic to talk about now is if you have some favorite flowers that are out there, uh, you can bring them indoors and save them, especially if you have varieties you really like. I try to do that every year because I can never really remember the exact name of the variety when I go the next year to look for it, to buy it again. So the thing you can do is take cuttings and uh, Paul, what you can do, if you have, especially if this is a large geranium, you don't have a big window to put them in, you can take four to six inch long cuttings from the end of the geranium, try to get one off of a stem that's not flowering, um, and cut it right below a set of leaves, and then strip off those bottom leaves and dip the cut end in a rooting hormone powder. And this is something you can find at, at garden centers. It's just a small little uh, container that has a little powder. It's like a talcum powder, but it has a, a root, natural rooting hormone agent in it that'll help root that geranium. Then stick it into a container filled with moistened potting soil. Uh, put it in a bright area of your um, house, um, but not in direct sun. Uh, keep the soil moist, but not too wet, and, and it will root. Geraniums root very easily. In a couple of weeks or so, you'll have a, a rooted plant that you can overwinter um, and then put it back out in the spring. If, of course, you have a big spot and you have a small geranium that's already in a pot outside and you wanna just bring it in, you certainly can do that. I would cut it back though. Um, and at this point, I think I would probably move it to a place where it just gets morning sun to kind of transition it to the lower light levels that'll be happening indoors and do that for a couple of weeks. And then probably in early October, bring it inside, 
watch out for pests because you get a lot of hitchhiking insects, <laughs> mealybugs and aphids and things like that coming into your house. So you might want to spray it or at least watch out for those. Maybe even cut it back a little bit too to kind of shape it. You're really just trying to get it to overwinter. You're not really looking to have a beautiful plant because it will get kind of leggy with the low light in the middle of the winter. But if you put it in that sunny window, water it occasionally, keep it on the kind of on the dry side, it should survive fine and come back and you'd be able to plant it out in the spring next year. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today, Charlie Nardozzi, garden writer and host of the Connecticut Garden Journal on Connecticut Public Radio. We're going to continue talking with him after the break. And you can join us. What's your gardening question? 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're focusing on gardening today with Charlie Nardozzi, who's our garden writer and host of the Connecticut Garden Journal on Connecticut Public Radio. Uh, Charlie, we heard from Christine on Facebook. She wants to know, do you cut back rose bushes in the fall or should she wait until spring? Ah, that's a good, good question, Christine. So a lot depends upon how you're going to protect them and if you need to protect them at all. Uh, if you have some of the um, hardy heirloom roses, some of the old-fashioned roses, kind of like the Rosa Rugosa, but there's many others out there. Those are pretty tough plants, and you really don't have to do any protection. Those I would prune in the spring. So I just let them go through the winter, and in the spring, kind of clean them up, take off any dead, diseased, broken branches, thin them out a little bit, uh, and give them more space to really fill out and get a nice flowering going. If you're growing those, some of the hybrid tea and the Floribunda roses, the more hybridized versions of these roses, those are, tend to be a little more tender. Now, those you can protect in a couple different ways. You can uh, cut them back, um, as she was suggesting, to about a couple feet tall and put rose cones over those. And those kind of look like cloches that you just put over the top of the plant, and that protects them from the winter. And that's something you'd probably want to do later in the fall, more towards November. Or you can just... Um, pile bark mulch, which is what I do with mine. I pile bark mulch around the base of these plants, maybe up about a foot tall. And if you have the stems that go above that, that's fine. Just let them hang out there all winter. What the bark mulch does is that it protects the crown of the plant and that base of the plant. So that next spring, even if the top dies back because we had a severe winter, that part in the mulch will actually survive. You can just pull back that mulch in April or so, let those branches start growing, do a little pruning to clean it up uh, from anything that died, and then you'll be all set to go. So it kind of depends upon how you want to protect them and which ones you're growing. Uh, Millie's calling in from Columbia. Millie, what's your question for Charlie? Hi, Charlie. <clears throat> Hi, Millie. Hi, Charlie. Um, we have a community garden in um, Columbia, and we have a few plots that won't be used um, next summer. So we're looking for a cover crop that would be low grow, um, but basically no till if there is such a thing. Um, sure, you could try a couple different things. So uh, this time of year is a good time to, to seed your cover crops. And I would put down something like annual ryegrass would be a nice thing to grow. And maybe even things like field peas or mustard, um, things that are traditionally annuals you, that you know they're going to die back in, in the winter. So what that'll do is it'll grow well for this month and into October, maybe even November, if it stays warm enough. Um, and then through the winter, a lot of that will die back 
and then in the spring you can come back again just kind of scuff it up a little bit you know just so you can uh, create a nice planting medium and then you can start doing successive crops of buckwheat in the spring those buckwheat will grow from seed to flowering in about 30 or 40 days so if you did that say in may you can get a crop of it um to cut down and just drop what i call chop and drop uh drop it right back on the soil as the mulch let it die down a little bit and then do another crop in the summer uh, towards the fall what you're doing with all these cover crops is you're building up the organic matter in the soil and with some of them like the ryegrass and the buckwheat it helps crowd out any weeds that you have in there so hopefully after a season of doing cover cropping the next person who comes in is going to really enjoy that cover community garden because it'll be in really good shape Thanks for your call, Millie. And you can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, I, every year, Charlie, I think about planting garlic, and then I feel like I miss my window. So is now the time to plant <laughs> garlic, and how do I do it? <laughs> Not yet, Lucy, okay, but uh, okay. I'll text you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Plant your garlic. Uh, yes, so it's usually the same time you'd be planting your spring flowering bulbs, like tulips, daffodils, crocus, all of those. And that's usually mid-October in our climate. Uh, but it's pretty relaxed as far as the window goes. If, you have, if you're busy mid-October and you need to do it early October, you could. If you forget about it and you get into late October, even early November, you still can plant garlic and all those spring flowering bulbs. Uh, the thing is you don't want to plant it now because you don't want it to sprout and start growing before the winter mm -hmm. because then it'll be susceptible to getting uh, died back from the cold. Um, so yeah, I think you've got a couple more weeks to do it. Uh, you can go shopping, <laughs> get your favorite varieties, whether it be hard neck varieties, which give you those scapes, or the soft neck varieties, which are the ones you can braid and make beautiful uh, braids of those to hang in your kitchen. Um, either one of those would, does fine. Uh, make sure you have a nice well-drained soil. I like planting them on raised beds. The only time I've had garlic not make it is when I planted them in a spot where it stayed, stayed really wet and cool uh, and the cloves rotted. So raised beds are really good, nice well-drained soil. And the night before you're ready to plant, Lucy, you want to break apart those bulbs and let them just kind of sit in a bulb. So those individual cloves will have a little basal plate on the bottom mm -hmm. of them. And by callousing over overnight, that'll help them root faster. Then just pop them in about six inches apart, fill, cover them with soil, then cover the whole thing with some mulch. Uh, it could be uh, hay or straw that would work well. And then just leave it there all winter. And next spring, you're going to have garlic poking right through the mulch. And so if I hadn't procrastinated and I had planted last year, when you get that first harvest of garlic, how do you, what do you do then, Charlie? How long should it sit before you can use oh, it? Oh, okay. So yeah, so to continue on what happens next spring, so it'll start coming up in the spring. You can just remove the mulch, give it a little water, fertilizer. Usually by early July or so, uh, it will be a time to harvest. You harvest it when the bottom leaves start turning yellow. Mm -hmm. You pull it out, you cure it for about a week or so um, in a nice airy place like a garage or a shed somewhere um, that's out of direct sun. Let it try to dry off and, and dry up. Then just cut the tops of it, um, cut the roots a little bit, cut the tops of it, and then you can store it. Now, how you store it is how you'll know um, how good a job you've been doing, you might say. <laughs> uh, so uh, you can use put some of it aside for planting in the fall. That's what we've been doing. So I haven't bought garlic to plant in years because I keep selecting the biggest bulbs that I have that I harvested in the summer. We save those and I'll be planting those in next month uh, for next year's crop. The rest of them, you want to put them in a cool place, like in a basement somewhere in the dark. But we also put them underneath upside down um, clay pots. So we turn cl a big clay pot upside down, put the garlic underneath it. 
we found that that has the perfect conditions as far as humidity to help the garlic last a long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we've had garlic that lasts six months that way. Um, so it's a nice way to grow a lot of garlic and still have it come next spring uh, for cooking in the kitchen. Okay, this is going to be the year, Charlie. I'm going to do it next month. All right. <laughs> go, Lucy, you can go. Join, you can join our conversation with Charlie Nardozzi, 888-720-9677. Kathy's calling in from West Hartford. Kathy, you're on the show. Hi. Thanks, Charlie. I um, am a proud owner of two fig trees, a Chicago hardy and an Italian honey that I've been nursing outside. I finally got a lot of figs on them. I'm hoping ripen. But I would love your thoughts on wintering them because uh, I heard that after five or six years, you don't need to wrap them, which surprised me. And secondly, I'd love to know your recommendation on the best fig tree to uh, live outdoors in New England. Okay, so you're, it sounds like you're planting them in the ground and not bringing them yes. in in a container. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Um, yes, so um, as in general, as trees age, they do get a little bit hardier. I'm not sure I would take the chance, though, with a fig tree that's maybe five, six, seven years old, looking great, producing a ton of figs that might potentially die in the winter because you got a severe cold snap. So I would still wrap them and protect them um, through the winter wherever you planted them, uh, just because it's important to make sure you get your figs. Because <laughs> I've been eating figs off our trees, um, and they're delicious, and there's nothing like a fresh fig picked right off a tree. Are you listening, Lucy? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on my list, Charlie. <laughs> okay, put it on the list. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, the one I grow Charlie, that it seems to be really pots. hardy. Oh, excuse me? You keep yours in pots, it sounds like, though. I do. I keep mine okay. in pots and I have to protect them because they will not, where I live, they will not uh, overwinter outdoors. So I bring them down into our basement in, in containers. I let them go dormant and then I bring them up in the spring and, and put them back outside. Um, I grow uh, brown turkey is one I grow that seems very hardy and very tough and it grows really well. And Celeste is another one that I grow. Um, but the ones you're talking about, I've heard uh, good things about as well. So I think uh, protecting them, continuing to protect them, even as they get older, uh, will probably be a good thing to do uh, because with the, the vagaries of our weather now, especially in the winter, we get these uh, Arctic blasts coming down. Um, all, all it right. takes is one quick Arctic blast and you could lose that whole tree and that would be a okay. real shame. I don't want that. So you yeah. would recommend doing pots though. They don't get too big to bring indoors. Well, <laughs> depends on who you talk to in my family. Um, <laughs> my wife thinks they're too big to bring indoors, um, but I'm still doing it. Um, okay. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the nice thing about figs is they're very amenable to being pruned, not just the top, but the roots. And so how I grow them in containers is that each spring I pull them out and before they start growing, I cut off about a third of their root ball. So I slice them literally with my pruning knife, um, slicing them vertically. So I cut them off put them back in the pot, bring in some nice potting soil mixed with compost and fertilizer, a little lime. If I do that every spring, they grow really well. They like that fresh soil. Um, the top doesn't really suffer because it's been kind of dwarfed from being in the container and I get a ton of figs this time of year. So that's a one way to keep the, the plant small enough to fit in a container that's a manageable size. You can join our conversation with Charlie, 888-720-9677. Uh, Lois is calling in. Lois, uh, what's your question? Um, good morning. Um, we're planning on putting in a uh, pool next year. And so we transplanted a cherry tree out of that area into another area. And it's a young cherry tree. And my question is, um, 
did we overwater, underwater, because it's, the leaves have all turned yellow. It's only been a few weeks, and it's dropping leaves. Well, I'm, I'm thinking that it's probably just because you transplanted it that it's dropping leaves. You know, in that transplant process, uh, you're destroying a lot of the roots. And so it's natural okay. that if it has a full head of leaves there and you destroy a bunch of roots, it's not going to have enough water and nutrients to support all those leaves. So they're going to drop prematurely. I wouldn't be too okay. concerned about it. But what I would do, though, okay. is continue to water it through the fall, like I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, because those okay. root systems are, are trying to get reestablished. And if the ground is really dry, it's going to be hard for them to do that. So um, you can use those gator bags if you've ever seen those. They look kind of like oh, donuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fill those up with water. They'll just kind of gently ooze out that water over time. That way you can fill them maybe once or twice a week and not have to think about awesome. watering the tree so often. Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Isn't Charlie Nardozzi great? Again, you can join our conversation with him. He's got so many great tips for us. 888-720-9677. Kimberly's calling in from Ashford. Uh, Kimberly, you're on the show. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, um, Kimberly. I had a problem. Hi. We had a problem this year, and we have in the past, but this year in particular with garden pests, four-line beetle, cucumber beetle, squash beetles, um, both gardens, we have separate areas because we, we try to plant things in different places. Um, is there anything that I can do now in the fall that will prevent an, another infestation in the spring? Uh, yeah, there are some things you could do, Kimberly. Uh, you could try to clean up the garden uh, really well this fall, you know, especially if you have like squash bugs and the squash plants or the four-line beetles or cucumber beetles. Um, and especially clean up not just the garden plants, but any kind of weedy areas are in the garden or around the garden, because that's where they're overwintering. That's where a lot of these insects will kind of spend the winter in various stages, depending on the insect. Um, and then they'll come back to attack your plants in the spring. So even if you okay. can't weed everything out or, or clean up an area that has uh, kind of gotten away from you a little bit, at least try to mow it down really sharp, uh, really short, uh, so that it'll be less likely that those insects will survive there. That's probably a good way to, to kind of set it up for next year so you have less problems. Thank you, Charlie Nardozzi again. Uh, Priscilla wrote on Facebook, she writes, I'd like to mail a couple of Concord grapevines to family in Ohio. Is there enough time this season to dig the vines for a successful transplant? Well, it's going to be a little hard. Um, I'm assuming they're small vines um, because obviously big grapevines are going to be really hard to dig. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, so if you want to give it a try, uh, go ahead. You no, know, Ohio is a little bit warmer, so they do have a longer season in the fall. And if you can get it in the mail and get it there in time, uh, you know, within the next week or so, uh, I think it's worth a try, uh, especially if you have a, a number of conquered grape seedlings that, are, that you have to dig up. Um, you know, try it with a couple of them this year, see if it works. And then, of course, you can do it again in the spring, which would be a better time to transplant the conquered grape um, because that would give it the whole summer to get reestablished. But that being said, we see how grapes grow wild and they're very aggressive plants. So I think it's worth a try. Before we take more calls, uh, Charlie, uh, I'm wondering if you can give some advice on seed saving. Instead of uh, buying new seeds uh, uh, before the spring, there are certain uh, perennials uh, that you can easily get the seeds. And, and what's the best way to do it so that they don't mold over and you're, and you're successful for next year? 
Yeah, yeah, sir, certainly. There's lots of different flowers, um, annuals and perennials, that you can save the seed from. Uh, you know, some of the easiest ones would be things like calendulas, for example, or verbena, that tall ver purple verbena, that airy one that's blooming now. Um, really easy to save the seeds from those plants. First of all, you always want to save seeds from plants, annual plants that are um, open pollinated. They're not hybrids because if you save the hybrid seed, you may not get the same exact plant next year. The color might be different, the shape, the form, all of that. And the same thing goes with perennials. You can do echinacea and rudbeckias. Um, a lot of different perennials right now are kind of going to seed. So it's good to catch them um, as the seeds are, as the petals are dropping, the seeds are starting to form, but before they start dropping to the ground. And the best thing to do will be once you can start seeing them getting loose enough to kind of drop off into your hand is to cut those seed heads, put them in a brown paper bag and continue to let them dry in an airy, warm place. And that's the key with the, trying not to get them to be moldy is it to let them dry completely. And then once they seem to be dry enough to break apart, you can break them apart, put them out on a sheet um, and let them dry a little bit further uh, because there might be some residual moisture in there. Once you're pretty confident that they're dry, then you can put them in glass jars and just store them in a cool place for the winter. And you'll probably be successful in getting them to come back. The other thing to remember about annuals and perennials is they self-sow readily. So if you forget about saving the seeds from them, um, you will probably find a lot of them next spring as little babies <laughs> that are just <laughs> popping up into the garden. So you can always move those around to where you want them and weed out the extra ones. Chris is calling in from Weathersfield. Chris, what's your question? Uh, yes, to follow up, so I have a stand of Joe Pieweed in my backyard, and I want to transplant it around to other parts of my yard. Can I just dig them up right now as they stand and move them now and not have to go through the drying out process of seeds, or should I wait till the spring? Um, I think it would be better to wait to the spring if you can. Um, but Joe Pieweed is a, is a native plant, and it's a very tough plant, a very easy-to-grow plant. And one that I think if you moved them now, they probably would still for, survive as well. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I think, you know, either you can dig up some of the plant now, maybe let it die back a little bit um, and then dig it up, take a good sized root system, move it to a new location or wait in the spring when they first start popping up. That would be a good time to kind of cut them, divide them and move them. Okay. One more uh... Uh, one more quick question for you, Charlie, before we head to break. Uh, Mike from Cromwell wanted to know, is it too late to plant grass seed? Oh, no, it's a perfect time to plant grass seed, actually. If there is one time of year that you want to do some lawn maintenance, September is the time to do it. Uh, so make sure you get the right grass seed for your conditions. Something that's full sun, you might want to get a mix that has a little bit more Kentucky bluegrass to it. If something in the part shade, you want to get a mix with more of the fine and the tall fescue grasses to it. Um, and it's a great time of year to spread that seed, you know, prepare the soil well, um, try to get out some of the weeds that are in there, spread your seed, cover it over with a hay mulch, keep it well watered. I've been mentioning that a lot today, um, but that's really important in the fall so that things will germinate and grow well. You're listening to Charlie Nardozzi here on Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. After the break, we'll continue taking your calls, your gardening questions. Again, 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up Monday, Maria Hinojosa is a longtime journalist known for groundbreaking reporting on politics and immigration and more. On the next Where We Live, she joins us to talk about her new memoir, Once I Was You. We hope you join us on Monday. Now, today we're talking about gardening with Charlie Nardozzi. He's host of the Connecticut Garden Journal on Connecticut Public Radio. You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Pat's calling in from North Haven. Pat, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Yeah, what's your Uh, question, Pat? My question is about two very large shrubs. One's a holly, one's a Piers japonica. They've outgrown their space, and I was told that I could hard cut them down to two or three feet, and next spring they would start to rejuvenate. Is that true? Uh, yes, it is true. Uh, both of those plants can take a really heavy pruning uh, back to the structure, you know, some of the woody growth of the plant, and they'll send out new shoots. However, I wouldn't do it now. I would wait till late winter, early spring. Uh, you don't have to wait till things are growing, maybe even uh, late March, early April, depending upon the weather, and cut it back then. Because that way, uh, they'll have a little time to heal, and then they'll go right into the summer with some new growth. Uh, cutting it back now, there is an outside chance it might harm the plant beyond just the cuts. Um, so unless you really have to do it, I'd wait till the spring. Ryan has a great question that he tweeted. He recently converted a huge gravel area, which was a former RV parking, into a clover patch. The soil is only four to five inches deep over the gravel. He wants to know, can I plant spring bulbs in that area or is it a fool's error in the Charlie? Oh, boy. Um, Well, clover patch is a great idea. I'm sure the bunnies are happy about that. Uh, But uh, four to five inches deep is really not deep enough for most bulbs. Uh, If you wanted to try to do that, you could try some of the smaller bulbs, the scillas, the crocuses, the uh, the glanthus, the snowdrops. Um, Those bulbs might do okay, but I would be afraid that either critters would get them or they just wouldn't survive the winter. Uh, The other option, of course, is to bring in a little soil, uh, compost and soil, make a raised bed and then plant in that. And that way you'd have a deeper soil mass and you'd be able to be more successful. Again, it's a bulb season, another uh, few weeks. Uh, Are there particular bulbs that you recommend people try, Charlie? Uh, Well, I'm always into trying different things. Uh, There's a couple of different catalogs that specialize in bulbs, and I'm always looking at it drooling as I pick up, ooh, let's try that one, ooh, let's try that one. And the thing that we've been growing a lot of uh, over the years are species tulips. Now, these are tulips that grow in the wild in places where they're native, like Turkey, for example, in the Middle East. And they're they're a little bit different looking than the the hybrid tulips you see um, often in the spring or as a cut flower. These are smaller plants. They do, some of them have that same pointy uh, shape to them. Uh, They're very colorful, lots of different colors. Some of them are very low growing um, and some have really interesting shaped leaves to them, variegated leaves and curling and twisting leaves. But the thing I really like about the species tulips is they come back pretty reliably year after year. In fact, they spread. They're a good plant to naturalize a little meadow with. Uh, So uh, that's one that you might wanna check out. They're becoming more popular. So you're seeing them in garden centers a lot now. Um, and they're called, I call them species tulips, but basically they're tulips that have two names, tulipa, which is a genus, and then some kind of species like tarda, for example. Um, so look for those and give them a try. It might be worth, uh, especially if you're having a hard time getting your tulips to come back year after year, this might be a more rewarding experience.
I find I get so many catalogs for bulbs, Charlie. It can be overwhelming to figure out who I should order from. I do like to talk about color blends in Bridgeport if you want to stay local. Yes. And, of course, White Flower Farm. And uh, there's also Sheepers, uh, which is in the, the western side of Connecticut, all great places uh, to get your bulbs, uh, to try uh, new bulbs, as, as Charlie recommends. Beverly is calling in from Colchester. Beverly, what's your question? Hi, uh, we were wondering what we should do with our hydrangea uh, bushes. We put uh, quite a few in uh, this year. We just moved to a new, new house, too, and put them in, and they bloom beautifully. But what should we do for the winter? Uh, so, Beverly, what kind of hydrangeas are these? Can you describe them a little bit for me? Uh, well, they're they're purple and uh, pink. <laughs> That's all I can. Okay. They're purple and pink. Okay, that that helps actually. Um, so I'm I'm guessing those are the purple or the blue hydrangeas that a lot of people would grow. Um, the reason I ask is there's many different kinds of hydrangeas, and you have to treat them a little bit differently depending on the the type you have. Uh, for those blue hydrangeas, um, probably the best thing to do. Uh, would be to leave them right now and then more towards Thanksgiving, I would get some uh, wood chips or bark mulch and just uh, put them around the base of the plant, maybe about a foot deep to protect those bottoms, the bottoms of those stems. Because those blue hydrangeas tend to form their flowers on what we call the old wood or the wood that's there now. They're kind of like lilacs, for example, in that way. You know, if you cut a lilac now, you're cutting off the flowers for next year. The same is true with those types of hydrangeas. So you want to protect them so that those branches don't die in the winter if we get a severe winter. And bark mulch or wood chips is a good way to do that. In the spring, just pull them back, you know, sometime maybe in April uh, as the buds start forming, and you should get some beautiful flowers. And then that would be a time to cut back anything that's dead. Um, and if you want to keep the plants within bounds because they're getting really big, after they flower in early summer, that will be the time to give them a little pruning. Those are good tips because you know what I did this past spring. I have a blue hydrangea, Charlie, and I pruned them in the spring. Uh, I didn't get as many flowers, so now I know. Right. <laughs> Don't do it. All right. Uh, Donna's calling in from Southbury. Donna, you're on the show. Donna, are you there? Oh, I don't think Donna can hear us, so uh, let me go to Terry in Ellington. Terry, what's your question? Hi. I have two questions. Number one. Uh, when I bring my plants in indoors from outside, I find after a little while I have these little flying insects kind of like doing a number on my um, plants. What do I do? Do I do something outside before I bring them in, inside when I bring them in, or both? Second question is I have this gorgeous um, plant, uh, hibiscus. It has three colors in it, and I'd like to save it for next year. How do I do that? Okay, so we're talking more houseplants, which is good, uh, because it is a time of year to bring plants indoors and transition them. Um, so you're right to be concerned about the insects. What I would do with that first plant that you were talking about with the little flying insects is I would bring it into a location where you can spray it with something that's kind of benign, but that will, tack, will take care of a lot of insects, something like an insecticidal soap or neem oil. And I would spray it well and, and leave it outside for a little longer and maybe even give it you know, a couple days and then spray it a second time and then bring it inside and then quarantine it away from your house plants or other plants you have for maybe a week or so and watch it and see if any of those insects might have hatched. Sometimes they have eggs that will hatch when they get inside when it's nice and warm. So you might have to, again, pull it outside and spray it a second time um, after you bring it back in. But by doing that and keeping it away from others, you won't have whatever insect you have spreading. 
As far as the hibiscus goes, I'm assuming this is a tropical hibiscus, the one that you see like in Florida, for example. Um, that's a great shrub, a great potted plant, beautiful flowers on it. Um, it doesn't really like the low light levels we have in Connecticut. Uh, so when you do bring it inside, again, watch for those insects, do that same process I just mentioned, but try to put it in the sunniest spot you have and be ready for a lot of leaves to drop <laughs> because that's what's going to happen. Unless you have supplemental light, uh, it's just not going to have enough light to support all those leaves. And so a number of them will drop. It'll stop flowering. Some of the leaves will drop, but that's okay. As long as it stays alive, as long as there's some leaves that hang on there, um, just don't worry about it. Keep it water, but kind of barely moist, not really heavily moist. And then just leave it in that sunny window. Hopefully, as it makes it through the winter, when you get to March and April with the longer days, you'll start seeing new leaves starting to form. They'll probably be smaller leaves than the big ones that you used to have. But as long as it's alive, that's all we're looking for. So that by May, June, you can put it back outside and enjoy it next summer. You're hearing Charlie Nardozzi here on Where We Live. Again, he's host of the Connecticut Garden Journal. And if you have a question, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We just have a few more minutes, uh, Charlie. Uh, Denise has been holding from Berlin. Denise, are you still there? Yes, I am. Go ahead. Um, I have a question about a gardenia. Um, it's potted. I've had it for numerous years. I've never gotten it to bloom. And in the winter, I bring it in and uh, put it in sort of a sunroom. And as the previous caller mentioned, I get um, flying insects on it, but it, the leaves turn brown and drop off like crazy. And then in the summer, I can put it outside, and it, it, it greens up and leaves up really good. It doesn't bloom. But I just want to know what to do with it in the winter and more so how to get it to bloom. Yeah, right. Gardenias are beautiful, but they are kind of finicky about their blooming. Um, so uh, one of the things you can do is to um, continue to uh, feed it a little bit. So in the spring, when you bring it outside, I don't know if you're giving it a, any kind of special plant food, uh, but there is plant food just for a gardenia for the special soil mixes that it needs. Um, that might be one thing to do to help stimulate it to actually form some flowers for you. Um, the other thing, of course, is it put, by bringing it into that sunroom, it's keeping it nice and warm and sunny, which is good. But even with that, you're seeing some of those leaves dropping to the ground. Um, so that's kind of a natural process for it. Um, so I think it's really more related to probably the fertility of it, um, making sure it gets a little bit of a cool period before you put it into the sunroom. That might help form some flower buds as well. Uh, Charlie, before uh, the show ends, I, I did want to ask you about your new book, No Dig Gardening, because I'm always thinking about new beds and, and how to continue to extend uh, my garden and around our old farmhouse. So tell us quickly about it. Yeah, so No Dig Gardening is a process where you can grow your gardens without having to turn the soil. And there's a, the simplest reason for doing it is because it's less work. We all want to do less work, but there's also a lot of ecological reasons. Um, it doesn't disrupt the, the structure of the soil and the insects and the, the critters that are in there that are beneficial. It creates a nice uh, medium for plants to grow um, and grow, plants grow healthier and better and you have less weeds. So that'll be coming out in December and um, it'll be really exciting because it is a kind of a new trend in gardening that a lot of people are trying. I wanted to fit in one more call. Uh, Cherie from Brookfield. We just have a couple of minutes, Cherie. What's your question quickly? Oh, it doesn't look like Cherie's there anymore, but she was asking about hosta plants, which is a uh, popular and sometimes uh, Charlie, a deer will eat them up. So when we think about repellent, what do you recommend? Oh, I like uh, one repellent called plant skid. It's S-K-Y-D-D. -D. 
and that's the Swedish word that means uh, protection. And it's made out of slaughterhouse waste or blood meal. And that seems to work really well. There's a liquid and there's a pelletized form of it. It lasts for a number of weeks in the environment and it does seem to keep the deer away. Uh, when we think about a lot of our listeners wanted to learn about overwintering and keeping plants growing uh, through the cold months, uh, when we think about some other uh, gardening projects we can start over the winter, Charlie, what do you recommend? Uh, well, trying to keep some plants, you know, tender plants, especially evergreens uh, through the winter is always a bit of a challenge. So if you have rhododendrons, for example, or some of the pieris that people have been mentioning, it's nice to put a, a burlap cage around them. So what you do is you put four stakes around the shrub, then wrap burlap around the stakes and keep them protected from the winter winds, which can dry out those leaves really easily. You don't want to wrap your whole tree or whole shrub uh, with the burlap right whole, uh, against the leaves because that'll dry them out. And often you'll see that in the winter where people will wrap all these things all up um, and it actually causes more damage than if you just left them. So uh, try using that burlap wrap using the stakes uh, and that keeps a nice airflow growing there and it protects uh, the plants through the winter. We're getting, we're cutting it close to the end, Charlie, but Sean on, on Twitter, we had a lot of storm damage here in Connecticut. He had a, a, a 10-year-old red maple trunk, trunk snap clean off at about 20 feet. Any chance that tree could survive? Well, it'll try to survive, but it'll never really look very good. So I think it's probably a good time to do a little shopping and <laughs> see if you can find a replacement tree. Well, Charlie Narduzzi, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Our listeners love to ask you questions, and you're a great person to have on for gardening advice. So you make it relatable and fun. Thank you so much, Charlie. We hope to have you back soon. Oh, I always love doing the show, Lucy. Thanks. Again, Charlie Narduzzi is host of the Connecticut Garden Journal on Connecticut Public Radio. Thank you, Charlie. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Uh, thanks to our listeners, and we hope you're back with us on Monday. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel.